Anyway, let's uh, cross to where it's all happening, which is Boston in Massachusetts. Celeste Katz-Marston is our correspondent there. Celeste, again, good morning. Welcome to the program. Good morning. This story is incredible, isn't it, uh, about the submersible diving onto the Titanic and then getting lost. I mean, it's everyone's kind of nightmare that it's easier to get people back from space, perhaps, than from the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, it's really terrifying. And just looking back at some of the stories where the founder of this company, this private company that made the submersible was talking about what he worried about. And one of the things he specifically worried about was not being able to get back to the surface, getting caught in a fishing net, getting entangled in the wreckage of the Titanic specifically. Um, Really scary, scary stuff. And I know that the Search and rescue effort is ongoing. They have found apparently um, very recently some sort of a debris field yeah. in the area where they're searching, but uh, time is running out. Air is running out. I think it's run out. I don't think there's any – I don't want this to come – I mean, I'd love this, in fact, to come back and bite me, but I don't think there's any chance, sadly, that these people are going to be rescued. But, I mean, it's the same as the whole Titanic story, isn't it? This hubris, it's about – Wealth counting for nothing. I mean, this bloke might have been a billionaire, but what good was his money on the bottom of the ocean? Like, it just, and, you know, building something that was not capable of dealing with the situation as the Titanic wasn't, nor was the submersible. It's just, it's the whole Titanic story just writ small, isn't it? I mean, I, I think times have changed. I think the technology certainly is is uh, massively different, is light years ahead of where it was. But in terms of uh, unforeseen uh, circumstances, accidents, uh, just general peril of being that far out in the ocean, or in this case, this deep in the ocean, uh, you know, there, there are certain things that I think you cannot really plan for. And so can you say that these people were absolutely out of their minds to even attempt something like this. I mean, you know, the company had done other successful, um, you know, explorations yeah. and so on. But I mean, if you're asking me, would I personally get into that submersible? No. I, I would not, uh, but maybe I'm just chicken. Maybe I'm no. not really. <laughs> well, I mean, the, you're right. I mean, there's, there have been dozens, if not hundreds of dives onto the Titanic in submersible vehicles like this one. This is the one time it's gone wrong. Therefore, I mean, you know, ocean line cruising didn't end because Titanic crashed into an iceberg. You know, that went on and on, and they kept building bigger and better ships, perhaps. But I just, oh, I, I hate enclosed spaces anyway. And not being able to move around, you know, for five, six hours, I just, I can't imagine anything worse. And then could you imagine as I'm sure there'll be a movie about this at some point, that moment when you realise this is it and you are just going to wait a couple of days before you die. I mean, just that's the horrendous part of it. Unless there was an accident, as you say, there's a debris field. Maybe there was just a terrible accident and they all died you know, instantly. That's probably what you can... The, the, terrible to say, that's what you can hope for in this situation. I mean, if there was a hull breach, this would have happened very quickly at, at that depth and at that pressure. And, you know, I think one of the saddest parts of this was, from what I understand, there was like a father and son yeah. um, traveling together on the submersible. And so, yeah, th those last moments are not something I really want to dwell on. Uh, but you say, oh, yes, technology's improved. 
they're directing this thing with a PlayStation handset, and it wasn't even a PlayStation. It was a like a how would you even describe it? It's a pretend one. It's just it's not even the official one. It was you know one of those cheap ones. That's not how you do it, surely. Surely there's got to be a better way of driving these things. I think, obviously, just as there was a lot of changes to the safety regulations of ships at sea after Titanic hit the iceberg, I think we're going to see maybe a change to the submersible safety situation, don't you think? I would I would think so, and I would hope so. I mean, if you think about how many people have traveled into, as you say, traveled into outer space and come back safely, considering every single thing. I mean, if you think about it, sending a rocket to the moon or something, you know, even further is an absolutely yeah. baffling and insane idea. How yeah. could this possibly be done and how could people survive it? I'm just, just the lift off alone, the yeah. crushing pressure, right? But it's been done. It's been done. And, you know, compared to what we know about other planets and what we know about outer space, we know relatively little about the, the true depths of the ocean floor. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can ask yourself the question, are we supposed to be there? Are we supposed to know? Wow. Well, I mean, we've always wanted to explore, haven't we? And but there was a film or, you know, a video an animation going around on Twitter that showed you how deep the ocean is. And it's very, very deep. You know, like this is a long, long way down. And that's not even the deepest part of the ocean. The deepest part of the ocean is four times deeper or so. I think James Cameron went down there. I did speak to a woman once who went down on one of those submersibles, and we'll hear that on the uh, program on Sunday morning. But, yeah, I don't know. And Boston is kind of the centre. The Boston is a lot is um, it's a harbour, obviously. It's a port, and that's where uh, much of the search has been uh, coordinated from, isn't it? Right. I mean, the Coast Guard is searching. They're, they're deploying from here from Canada, certainly is, is involved in this, uh, as well as the United States Coast Guard. I mean, it's, it's a very broad search. And if you think mm. about it relative to the size of the ocean, looking for this one little submersible, they've been listening for any sounds that, uh, I mean, they have a lot of technology that they can use to try to find it. But, I mean, the, the drop in the ocean... Uh, metaphor kind of holds here. It's it's very oh. difficult to to figure this one out. Well, someone else once said about finding a ship off the Australian coast. You know, yeah, it's a, a needle in a haystack. First, you've got to find the haystack. You know that you could easily miss this thing because it's so dark. It's pitch black down there, and I don't know. Is there a black box in these things that emits some sort of beep? If they have to bang on the side, you know, to to every thirty minutes to make people here i don't know we don't even know whether that was that might have been just something totally unrelated but you know and if the thing blows up well of course the black box is gone as well if there was one right i mean again just being with you know being able to withstand that much pressure that far down and then if they find them what if they find them but how can they um you know retrieve them yeah. or you know th there's a lot of different things there's supposed to be safety mechanisms I mean, certainly there's you know some sort of communication mechanism there's supposed to be something that happens that is supposed to cause the submersible to be able to rise to the surface if something goes wrong obviously uh, that wouldn't apply in a in a collision uh, case something like that, and and once the hull is breached, I don't I don't yeah. really know how how that uh, how that ends happily. Uh, Peter has texted in and says I can't understand why they wouldn't have some form of cable attached, even if it was only strong enough to follow down to the sub. I mean, the thing is that Titanic is what nearly four thousand 
is it feet or metres? Metres, maybe down to the bottom of the ocean. I mean, you can't have a cable that long. That's just, that's that's impractical. Although, you know, there you go. And if the thing blew up, well, the cable's useless anyway, isn't it? Right. I mean, I'm sure they would want to retrieve uh, what is what remains of the of the craft to try to figure out what went wrong and how to fix it and how to learn some lessons from it. But, I mean... You know, I don't think any of that can be much consolation to the families of the people inside. Exactly. And one other text, uh, even the name of the submersible, Titan, was Titanic writ small. And now my phone's autocomplete knows submersible but not Titanic when I've never texted either of them before. There you go. Our phones are smarter than we are. Uh, Celeste uh, Katzmaston is our guest in Boston. Well, that is a story that's really dominated the world headlines over the last couple of days. What I didn't know, and I keep, you know, a relatively close track on U.S. politics, I didn't know that there were move, moves to uh, impeach Joe Biden. I wasn't, uh, wasn't aware of that. Right. So this is something that's been playing out on sort of the the far right flank of the Republican Party. Certain people that I mean, I don't know how familiar any of these names would be to to people outside the United States. But um, there is sort of a an upstart uh, young politician out of the state of Colorado named Lauren Boebert, who has been trying to press this thing and essentially to get past the um the House Speaker, uh, Kevin McCarthy, and just bring it to the floor. And this, you know, McCarthy doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to rush to uh, an impeachment. This would be, in this case, accusing uh, President Biden of high crimes and misdemeanors for his handling of the U.S.-Mexico border. And so essentially they have they've sort of tried to shunt this to the side, send it to a committee rather than have it come to the floor. But it, it really speaks uh, very largely to this sort of the corralling and the struggle that he has had to do when it comes to the extreme right wing of his his own party. I mean, there is a president, ex-president, who did commit crimes. Let's concentrate on that, shall we, rather than a president who has not necessarily that we know of committed crimes and certainly not down the border. The thing is, it could pass. I'd be interested to know which Republicans would have a backbone and vote against this. But even if it did, it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate, so why bother? It's just a tit-for-tat waste of time, surely, because Trump was impeached twice. I think it really is a flex in terms of the the right wing of the party, of the Republican Party. I think that they are trying to make a move to try to pressure the speaker saying, look, we can do this. We want to do this. We can do these kinds of things with or without your support. And if he's constantly feeling like he has to make concessions in order to avoid these kinds of, frankly, uh, uncomfortable or even embarrassing end runs by his own um, you know, members of his own party, members of his own delegation, then uh, that's a problem. So maybe they don't actually uh, want the impeachment, but that might not be the end game. The end game is to show him that uh, he may not be as in charge of everything as he thinks. All right. Okie doke. Now, I don't know whether we are on the verge of a whole new era, Celeste, or this is going to remain a bit of a fad. But lab-grown chicken, I don't even know how they can call it chicken. There's a lot of argument about whether milk, you know, if it's almond or soy, should be called milk. Milk is a dairy product. If it comes from a nut or something else, then that's not milk. Can lab-grown chicken be called chicken? Because 
you know, now it, it once you might have seen one thing in the supermarket. Now there's a whole section for non-meat meat products, isn't there? Right. And this to me is really interesting because that was going to be the next frontier, the impossible uh, burger or whatever, something that tastes like meat, looks like meat, cooks like meat, but isn't, but is plant-based. And I've tried it and I can see why it's sort of convincing, but you know it's not. See, this is, the next thing is like lab chicken, or now they're calling it like alt chicken or Mm. alt meat or something but it's taken from actual animal cells it's not invented in a lab it's not like plastic done up to look like chicken but it's grown in a lab so essentially it's no slaughter meat will it catch on i don't know i don't know i mean i think that they put a lot of time and effort into something that was like meat but wasn't and people sort of you know were interested to try it but it didn't catch on yes because they knew the difference. This is actual meat. It just doesn't come from a living yeah. animal that gets grown on a farm and then like sent to a butchery or something like that. But surely big chicken is going to respond. Or have they realized this is kind of like the energy industry where they can see the end of the road when it comes to, say, coal or petrol, you know, those fossil fuels, that they are maybe scrambling to develop alternatives, renewables, do you think that the you know beef industry, the meat industry, the chicken industry, have they realised that you know the game is up and they've got to start doing something, otherwise they'll be forced to do something. It's better to, this is, um, it's totally unrelated, this is why I don't really understand about the National Rifle Association. If they were leading the charge to do something rather than always being reacting to tragedies, they can control the narrative. It's it, it's the same here, perhaps, that maybe they've realised these meat companies have to control the narrative and, and control the future rather than you know have it forced on them by uh, government. I, I think that makes sense. And I think like a lot of things, it's not going to come down to an ethical argument. It's Eventually, it's going to come down to a money argument. Is this something that people want? Is it going to be cheaper to produce and to package and to deliver than... Uh, the way we're doing it now, um, is somebody going to come up with a good model that people really get interested in, that the big businesses might be able to either um, buy, co-opt, steal, whatever it may be? Um, I I think that's what it's going to come down to. And is there a way to market this to people successfully? I think right now the only place – this is not um, something that's going to be widely adopted just yet in the U.S. And I think the only place where they're doing it is Singapore, Mm -hmm. where you can actually sell this on the market um but yeah. it's going to come down to money if if it's cheaper if it's popular and and people can use it and they they like it i mean other companies have made this play as i said on um uh, you know sort of imaginary meat or pretend meat or whatever and they've put a lot of effort into making it very realistic um even to like the juiciness and stuff but yeah. you know did not take over the world so i think the to to answer your question, the big corporations will definitely be keeping an eye on it. And if it looks like there's a couple of bucks in it, yeah, maybe they'll step in. All right. Now, this is an incredible story. And I don't know how it allowed was it, I mean it wasn't allowed. People didn't realise about it. But this this is incredible. And this happened at Harvard that these three people in fact more than three, but these people the three have been uh, indicted for stealing human remains 
from Harvard Medical School. So presumably people who have left their body to science, so that the people studying to be doctors at Harvard, uh, you know, can operate on actual uh, humans or, you know, on, on dead bodies and dissect them and all that sort of stuff. These people stole those bodies. Yeah, they were making a business out of this. This these were people who donated their bodies for research, for teaching, and so on. And they took body parts and they started selling them on a black market. I mean, they're the who indictment. Knew there is, was a black market for body parts. I mean, what do you do with them? That's there. There are a number of really gross answers to that mm. that are described in this indictment. But one of them had something to do with making leather out of human skin. Oh my god! Um, another one was uh, a place that specialized in quote unquote bone art. Mm. Now this uh, is at the shop Cat's uh, Creepy Creations, I think. Yeah, I, I feel like the, the name of the place is kind it's of a, a giveaway. It, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm not mm. going in a place called. But here's the weird thing is that it was the morgue manager, of course. You've got to be the person in charge to organise that this happened. Cedric Lodge. I love the name Cedric. He took them to his house in New Hampshire. So that's a little bit away from, not that far from uh, Massachusetts, but far enough. And he and his wife then sold these human remains. So just tell me how this happened. Did he come home to her one day and say, I've got a great idea for a side hustle? Or did she say to him, Cedric, is there anything at work you want to bring home? Because I think we can... Uh... <laughs> I mean, at one point, someone says it to the other one and that other one thinks it's a great idea. The other one doesn't say, hang on a minute, we're going to an area I don't think we should go into. People have very disturbing tastes. Like, I mean, whatever gross thing it is, I'm sure you can find a market for it. And so, uh, you know, I don't know what they were making at their day jobs. I don't know how they came in contact with people. I imagine it's a fairly small community of people who are in charge of these kinds of things. And just, you know, I think most people wouldn't want anything to do with it whatsoever. I mean, even to the point of, you know, some people might find it hard to be a medical student and have to do this, which, yes. you know, suggests maybe find another profession that you're more comfortable with. But yeah, I, I'm a little disturbed to even try to think of the pillow talk that might have happened before somebody, you know, before they yeah. came up with this plan. Unless, of course, it's the sort of thing that brought them together in the first place, that, you know, you didn't need to broach this subject with someone that you love. In fact, maybe that's what they what brought them together and they that's why they, you know, got into it in the first place. I don't know. I mean, anyway, it's such a disturbing, upsetting story. And, you know, there's nothing... I mean, there's nothing good about it at all. And the weird thing is also they were using the postal service. They were mailing this stuff to people. Yeah, they they were. And I, I think, I mean, it, it is creepy and disgusting, but, you know, more broadly, it sort of feeds into people's fears and, and nightmares. Just think about it. Think about you decide to, you know, when you go, you're going to donate your body to science because some medical student will learn something from you and go on to save other people's lives. And there's a certain dignity in that. There's a certain sort of being a part of humanity in that. And this just 
just wipes all of that off the map. And I, frankly, I think if people read stories like this, they're going to say, well, why the hell should I donate my body to science exactly. if it's going to end up in some creepy store oh. as bone art? Boy, I bet there are a whole lot of people going to that uh, store too. Uh, hopefully it's closed down. All right, and finally, and this is incredible as well. This also happened in Boston. A woman who is in fact an adult, not a child, not a teenager, enrolled in three separate high schools. What is the story? Yeah, it's a weird, weird one. And I, I think she wasn't, she wasn't like uh, just an adult. She wasn't like 18. I think she was in her 30s or something like this. But it became a bizarre thing. She went around to not just one, not just two, but three different high schools and enrolled as a student, like matriculated at a regular high school. I mean, you're a 30-year-old person pretending to be a high school kid. I mean, I think that's like it sort of reminded me of that show Beverly Hills 90210. Oh, no. So it's like, well, no. I was like, why are those they're supposed to be in high school, but they all look older than I do. Sure they do. Well, I mean, you know, Olivia Newton John was twenty nine when she was in Greece. I thought it was more like um there was a movie Hiding Out starring John Cryer about a guy that mm-hmm. had to go undercover where he, he hid out as a school student even though he was an adult. And twenty one Jump Street was about right. baby faced Cops going undercover in a school with uh, Johnny Depp in the lead role. That, you know, mm. very much like that. But what's going to happen to her? I mean, will she get her high school degree? I don't think so, because it's supposedly at one point. Uh, so she would go to these schools and then pull out. And then one of the schools, like some other adult person showed up and said he was taking, he was unenrolling his quote unquote daughter because of bullying and she was going to go to private school instead. And that's when they started looking at the paperwork and saying, okay, what's up with this? And when they started actually seriously reviewing the transfer papers, because she had done this as a transfer student, you know, they started finding a lot of things that did not add up. So I don't think she'll be getting her diploma this month. Bizarre. Mm. Uh, By the way, it is uh, nearly 4,000 meters down. So that's, that's why you don't have a cable that long. Michael says, I once used a hyperbaric chamber for supposed health benefits, and I can tell you it's quite horrible being stuck and able to move with an oxygen mask on your face over an hour each session. Don't understand how anyone would even consider going down in that small submersible contraption. Yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it, and obviously I'm never going to do it. Um, just one other thing I want to mention, by the way, Celeste, and that is, uh, well, a journalistic uh, colleague, you might say, Evan Gershkovitz, uh, is in... Russia. I mean, this seems like this whole. I mean, he's been arrested. It just sounds like they're trying to extort money out of the U.S. like they did with uh, the basketball player. I would point out, I want him to be released. He's a former correspondent on this program. We've spoken to him many times in Russia, and then uh, one day he just wasn't answering his phone. So obviously, I hope he's okay. He's okay, but uh, even more so because he's very much part of his family on the program. Wow, I, I I did not realize that, and I certainly hope he's okay, and I certainly hope he gets out of there. And I think the whole thing is, you know, I don't I don't know every in and out of the case, but certainly on the face of it, it seems absolutely outrageous. The guy is a, a reporter yeah. who you know was invested in the community, knew lots of people there. His family, his both parents were emigres from from Russia, from the uh, Soviet Union at the time. And there is no evidence whatsoever that the guy is a spy. 
buy. And this, I mean, the whole idea and, you know, governments like Russia that are trying to crack down and silence and censor uh, not only their own reporters, which is bad enough, but foreign correspondents, really, it's it's 10 miles a bad road, at least. It's horrible. I hope he comes home and they should let him come home right away. Well, not only that, but then they have a kind of so-called prisoner swap where they get somebody out of an American jail who is a genuine prisoner who has done terrible things. And, uh, oh, yeah, we'll swap him for someone who's done nothing wrong. Anyway, we wish him the best. I hope he's going to be all right, and I'm very sorry uh, that he's ended up in this situation. Celeste, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. We will talk to you again in a couple of weeks' time. Great. Celeste Katzmarston in Boston.